It's a pleasure to be with you again this evening. You have probably all heard this expression many times as a minister gets ready to preach as he says that he begs an interest in your prayers. And I assure you we always do. On nights like tonight, we may need it more than normal. Um, I promise you I did not come here this weekend with this sermon. If you're scared, think about how I feel. Do have a desire that I trust is from the Lord to preach upon this. I do beg that you pray for us this evening. I'd like to direct your attention to the 13th chapter of the book of John. It's a passage that I'm sure you hear talked about at least once a year when you are in the Lord's house for communion. But there is an expression in or there are several expressions in this particular chapter that I would like to look at at the beginning that I think really set the stage for this ceremony. And it sets the stage for the intent of this ceremony and how it should really govern and dictate our lives. If you have uh, spent a lot of time uh, with this particular passage, most of the time people begin reading in verse 4. They begin reading about when Jesus lays aside his garments, when he girds himself with a towel, when he pours water into a basin and begins to wash his disciples' feet. However, the first verse and the third verse have some language that really set the tone for this entire service. A lot of times we uh, talk about things that bring us comfort, and the things that bring us comfort in our lives or that we believe that God is, We believe that God is sovereign. We believe that God has control. We believe God has all power. We believe God is everywhere present, nowhere absent. He is omniscient. He has all knowledge. He knows all about us. And yet He still loves us. But more than anything else, we have great comfort and peace tonight to know that in John 19 and 30, when He said it is finished, we can rest knowing it is finished. But if something is finished, there generally implies that there's no more work to do. And in a sense, that's true. When it comes to us being in heaven, it is finished. But now that it is finished, what are you to do? If Jesus Christ has rested from his labors, and he has, what is there to do? Notice verse 1. In verse 1 it says, And before the feast of the Passover, and Jesus knowing that his hour was come, that he should depart unto his Father, Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. I'll pass over verse 2 for the sake of time about the devil being put into the heart of Judas Iscariot. But in verse 3 he says, And knowing that all things were delivered unto him of his Father, and knowing that he came from God, and he went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and girded himself with a towel, poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Do you see that verse 3 flows right into verse 4? There's no period. There's no end of the thought. Everything he's about to do in washing his disciples' feet is built upon the fact that Jesus knows his hour is coming that he's going to depart out of this world. He's going to leave those here that he loves, but he loves them all the way to the end. 
and knowing that everything's given to him as his father, and even though he knows that he has come from God and he's going back to God, there's still one thing left he desires to do. Now I realize at this point he has not yet gone to Calvary. He has not yet breathed out his last. He has not yet paid the penalty for sin. He has not yet made that perfect sacrifice and offering. But friends, he knew it was coming. He knew it was imminent. He knew the hour was come that he should depart out of this world. And friends, even though greater love hath no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends, he was going to show the very next day the greatest love that someone could ever show by laying down his life for us, his friends. Right before that happens, he shows us, I believe, the next best thing to greatest love. Because even though his greatest love for us was dying for you and I, paying the penalty that you and I deserve to face, He shows us love in this ceremony. And He does it because He knows He's leaving. He knows the Father's given Him all things. He knows He's about to go back to the Father. But He still loves His own, which are in the world. He loved them unto the end. Friends, if there is anything that is about to flow out of this thought, it's love. Because this ceremony, this service, is all about love. To understand this service, to understand this ceremony requires that we understand love. A more perverted word in today's culture, there probably could not be found. Love is not what you feel it to be. Love is not some squishy emotion that teenagers have for one another. Love is not one of those things that just makes us all warm and fuzzy and bubbly inside, although a lot of times love does have these things associated with it. Friends, love more than anything else is sacrifice in action. More than anything else, love is me putting myself to the side to sacrifice for you. Friends, that's not the love of the world, but that's the love of the Bible. That's the love of God. That He, even though He could have been just and holy and supreme and divine and done nothing for you and I, He put, I'll just say this, His divine prerogative to do nothing for you and I to the side because He was going to sacrifice Himself for us. That's love. But before He does that, He shows us what is it that you do when all else has been done? I'm amazed so many times that we as human beings want the job of being God. Don't kid yourselves. We do. We want to be in control. We want to have it all figured out. We want everything to be in line. Friends, I'm glad. I'm so glad that He takes care of me when everything I've tried to put in line is out of line. I'm thankful He takes care of me when I don't take care of myself. I'm thankful that He loves me even unto the end. But if I want to show my love for Him, here's what I'm to do when all other things have been done. As He begins the ceremony of washing His disciples' feet, it says that He cometh to Peter. Now, I won't spend a lot of time on this. I'll just make some brief comments and move along. But as he comes to Peter, I don't know where Peter was in the lineup. I don't know if he was second, third, fourth, fifth, so on and so forth. I get the idea. He's had time to formulate his thoughts. He's watched Jesus do this to enough disciples. He's thought about, well, what are you going to do when he comes to you? And when Christ comes to him, Peter says, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? 
And Christ says, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter says, Thou shalt never wash my feet. I don't give a lot of free advice. I'll give you this. There's two words that you will eat. One of them is always, and the other one's never. If you say something's always going to be this way, I'm pretty sure you're going to eat it. And if you say this is never going to happen, you'll probably eat that one too. Because those are absolutes that cannot have exceptions to them. Peter says, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Well, this never got broken in a hurry. Because Christ says, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So then Peter changes his tune entirely and he says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands in my head. If I'm going to have a part with you, Peter's saying, give me everything. I want the whole part. If it's going to require me to have my feet washed to be part of you, get all of it. Get every bit of me. And in verse 9, Christ says this, and to me, this designates to us what feet washing is all about. It designates what this service is because it is indeed a literal service that Christ performed on this occasion, a service that He commands and requires of us to perform. But He gives the intent of it right here in verse 9. He says, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, and he is clean every whit. And I say unto you that ye are clean, but not all. What he is basically saying is, Peter, you don't yet understand what this is all about. Because he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. He only has to have his feet washed, you know, if he wants to be clean. Now, I have had interesting discussions with people that I work with. Because if you tell somebody that you wash feet, generally they look at you like, you know, a cow looking at a new gate. You know, they they look at you like, you wash feet? Yes. I said, that's one of the, you know, ceremonies that we have. And they said, are they dirty? And I say, no, actually, if there's ever a time of the year when my feet are the cleanest coming to church, it's the day I know they're going to be washed. Because I don't want someone to look at my feet and say, he didn't even clean his feet before the feet washing service. If there's ever a day my feet are clean coming to church, I guarantee you the day we wash feet, my feet are clean. They say, well, if you're not trying to get them physically clean, why do you do it? And I said, well, it's kind of hard to explain. And the reason it's hard to explain is because have you ever tried to explain to somebody how great church was when you were there? To to explain them how great a sermon was? And then you say, look, I I can't tell you about this anymore. You hand them the CD. They listen to the CD and they hand it back and they say, so what? And you put it in, you're like... That's not what we got. You been there? I mean, the CD was nothing like what you experienced because, friends, when it comes to the Holy Ghost coming down with power from on high, it's an experience that you can't really describe or put into words. And, friends, I'll tell you this. When you bow down and wash your brother's feet, it's an experience that you just cannot put into words. But what Christ has said here is, is that this service that we perform is ceremonial. It is not to get yourself physically clean. If it was to get you physically clean, you'd wash yourself from head to toe. It's not to do anything supernatural, but it's rather a ceremony to show something deeper and greater. Whenever we have bread and wine in the communion, we don't really believe that we're eating Christ's literal flesh. We don't really believe we're drinking His literal blood, but in a ceremony, in a token, we're saying something. We're saying this, I believe, is a representation of His body that was broken for me, and I take it inside. This is a 
representation of His blood which was shed for me and I take it inside. And just as those are tokens and ceremonies, so feet washing also is a token and a ceremony of something greater. Because friends, you don't have to get clean by washing your whole body ceremonially, but if you wash your feet, you're showing something by your service. You're showing, dear friends, your love one to another. Let me skip to the end in verse 34 and 35. Christ says in uh, verse 34, He says, A new commandment I give unto you. A new commandment I leave with you that ye have love one to another. Friends, this ceremony is a ceremony of love that we show love one to another by bending down and washing one another's feet. You say, well, preacher, why is it that washing your feet is all that is necessary to be clean or whole every whit? How come if you wash the feet, the rest of you is automatically clean ceremonially? Because, friends, I want you to know whether we like it or not, our feet that we walk on on this old sin-cursed earth, the old sins of this flesh, the old world that we walk around in, it clings to us more than we'd like to admit. This world crowds in in ways that we'd rather say, I just, I'm immune to that. You ever had that thought? Well, it might happen to everybody else, but it ain't happening to me. <laughs> well, that may be what happens to everybody else, but it won't be like that for me. I remember telling my mother that one time, and she laughed in my face. She said, teenagers have been saying that for years. What makes you think you're any different? I said, well, it may happen to other teenagers, but it won't happen to me. She laughed at me. You know what I said? I basically said that I could play with fire and not get burned. I'll tell you this, friends. When it comes to this old sin-cursed earth, it touches us every single day in which we live. It bothers us every single day. It hampers our walk with God. It deprives us of blessings that we have with God. And friends, ceremonially, what is it that of your flesh, of your body, that touches this whole world more than anything else? It's your feet. And friends, what is it we're saying one to another when we bend down at our brother's feet and wash them? We're saying, brother, I love you. Allow me to wash some of this old world out of your walk, out of your steps, and away out of your life. And then that brother in turn bows down at your feet and in likewise shows his love to you by saying, brother, let me wash some of this old world out of your life and out of your walk. Friends, we're saying one to another that we love one another enough that we want to stay unspotted and pure and clean from this old world. Friends, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from this old world. Friends, if you want to live unspotted from this old world, I'll tell you where you need to be. In the Lord's house, at your brother's feet, attempting to love one another, even as Christ has showed his love to us by washing this old world out of our lives and trying to live as unspotted a life as we can. You don't need to have your whole body washed. You wash your feet and ceremonially you're showing your love to your brother. Notice how odd this is. How just... It's a wow moment for me in the Bible. He asked him when he's done. He lays a towel aside. He puts his garments upon his body and he says, Know ye what I have done unto you? Do you really understand what I have done? You call me Master and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. 
Stop for just a minute. You call me your Lord. You call me your master. And I, as your master and your creator, just bowed down at my creation's feet. Friends, if that doesn't wow you, I can't do it. Friends, the creator bowed down at his creation's feet. I can imagine the angels standing in wonder, looking at their master, wondering how it was that he would bow down to his inferiors. You know, the angels saw a lot of things in Christ's life that were peculiar. I mean, can't you imagine them seeing the scene at Calvary the next day as they watched him beaten and scourged and spit upon and despitefully entreated, suspended in naked shame between heaven and earth, almost begging the Father to let him come down and wipe him out. But friends, I believe on this night, angels wondered in mystery as their master bowed down at our feet. He bowed down at our feet. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You know, one of the things about our family growing up is my father was not a man who used words wastefully. He was very guarded in what he said. And if he opened his mouth, it was important. And if I heard this once, I heard it dozens of times growing up. It generally happened on a Saturday morning. On a Saturday morning, he'd say, Son, this was after breakfast, he'd say, I'm going to town and I have this to do and this to do and this to do and this to do. And he was smart. I couldn't claim unjustice. I couldn't claim unfairness. Dad, you didn't give me enough time. Dad, you didn't give me enough tools. He had already calculated that I had enough means and I had enough time to do exactly what he said. And when I'm gone, I want you to cut the grass, split the wood, and do whatever. And when I get done, it ought to all be done. Well, you know what? Sometimes he came home and it wasn't all done. And you know what he said? Didn't I tell you when I got home it ought to be done? Yes, sir. Why isn't it done? I tried back talk one time. It didn't go very well. I said, well, Dad, I didn't have enough time. Sure you did. I've already calculated this. You had plenty of time. He said, I even give you a little extra spare. One time I told him foolishly, well, Dad, I didn't get the wood split because I got all the wedges stuck in the log. He walked out there and sure enough, all the wedges were stuck in the log. He said, why were you trying to split it at the knot? That didn't go over very well. But you know, when he said that, he wasn't saying, when I get home... It'd be a good idea if all this was done. He was saying it ought to be done. In other words, it better be done. But friends, if you understand what the word ought there means, it has such a wonderful connotation with it. It gives the idea of owing a debt of service, of having an obligation because you owe something. Now, we live in a world today where people honestly don't care about what they owe. Friends, we ought to. We ought to care about what we owe. One of the best reputations that we have had over the years, even by folks that weren't old Baptists, was this. Well, I know those old Baptists. They're honest people. Friends, that's a good reputation. 
One of the best things that you could ever say about us in the world is that years ago, if a primitive Baptist needed to do trade, sometimes his word was his credit. You know why? Because they knew he'd pay it. And friends, we ought to still be that way. If we owe something, we ought to pay it. You know what we owe God? We we owe God a lifetime of service, of love, and devotion to Him and to one another. If I, then your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to love one another's feet. He's saying, friends, you owe me. You owe me your love. You owe me your service. You owe me your devotion. You're obligated to me. But friends, He's not a cruel master. He is a joyful master. He's not one that executes things from us harshly. He's one that has given us tokens of love because friends, there's a lot of times I owe things and I don't like paying them. I'll just be honest. There's times that I buy something and when the bill comes in, I'm thinking, I wish I hadn't bought that. I mean, I have buyer's remorse sometimes. And my wife sometimes says, I told you we shouldn't have bought that. And I say, yes, ma'am. But you know, he doesn't say, if you know these things, you might be happy if you do them. He doesn't say, if you know these things, you might be happy if you pay them. He says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. It's a joy and a delight to pay this debt that we owe unto him. There is a lot of stories being told this afternoon about dearly departed men out in Texas. Well, there was a man in West Texas who I dearly loved. His name was Brother Harvey Bass. A very fine man. He had a reputation sometimes of being a bit tough. He and another deacon out there, Brother Morris and Allen, they were thought of as tough brethren. In a lot of ways they were. But I tell you what would melt Brother Harvey's heart was the feet washing service. Sometimes at the end of it there were many tears in the bowl as there was water to start with. And every time he washed his brother's feet, he'd stand up and look into heaven and say, Lord, there's some of what I owe you. There's a sum of what I deserve. Or what you deserve that I ought to pay unto you. Happy are you if you do them. I'll give you one more example, illustration. We'll try to bring our remarks to a close. A lot of times... A lot of times, things just aren't good enough for this old flesh. We always want more. We always feel like we need more. But friends, there is a woman in the Bible who gave us a wonderful example that I think points to feet washing. Go with me to 1 Samuel 25. In 1 Samuel 25, you read the story of a woman named Abigail. A woman that would eventually become David's wife. She was married to a man named Nabal, who was a churlish man. In other words, he was rude. He was brutish. He was harsh. He was not a good husband. And through a series of events, Abigail keeps David from destroying all that Nabal possesses. And when Nabal finds out about it, he dies. And when David finds out that Nabal has died, he sends his servants to fetch Abigail. Now in verse 40, in verse 41, we read of the dialogue between David's servants and Abigail. I want you to notice this situation. Her husband has died, a very wicked man. The circumstance she was in is now over. David sends his messengers to this woman and says, David, our master, who at this time is rightfully king, 
He has not yet manifestly ascended the throne to rule over all Israel, but He's still the King. He's already anointed. He is already the rightful ruler over Israel. And our Master, King David, has sent us to you to fetch home to Him for wife. Consider, she's just heard the news that there's a man who is a king who has made her his wife. Do you know what it is that we do? We're servants telling you that your cruel husband is dead. The cruel bondage that you are in is over. But there's a king who you don't yet manifestly see upon the throne. He's rightfully king. He is rightfully ruling and reigning. But friends, one day we'll manifestly see Him ruling and reigning. And He has sent you to be His wife. We didn't choose to be His wife. He made us His wife. All things have been done. He's king. You're His wife. We're sending the message to you. All has been done. So what is there for us to do? Abigail responds to the messengers of David. And she said, Oh, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of my Lord King David. No. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could wash Jesus' feet himself? Oh, that'd be wonderful. But she didn't ask for that. She's his bride. She's his wife. And she said, Oh, let me be a servant to wash the feet of the servants, my Lord, the King. Friends, you and I are fellow members of creation. We are fellow heirs of the Lord's bride. But right now, we're fellow servants of our Lord, King Jesus. You know what our attitude should be? Oh, let me be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord, King Jesus. And friends, unlike in Abigail's case, if she washed his servants' feet, all she'd done is washed his servants' feet. But friends, when the King comes in all of His glory... And he tells the righteous all those wonderful things about them. How he was hungry and they gave him meat. How he was thirsty and they gave him drink. He was a stranger and they took him in. In prison and they came into him naked and they clothed him. You know, the righteous didn't say, thank you, Lord, for noticing. They didn't say, I appreciate you taking knowledge of that, Jesus. They said, Lord, when did I ever see you like this? Friends, we see him like that every day. Because he said, inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Friends, unlike Abigail, when we wash the servants of our Lord the King, we have washed the feet of our King of glory out of love and devotion to Him. May the Lord you bless you.